1 Kings chapter 11. If you're taking notes at the top, if you can spell it, we're going to be speaking today on the subject of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. All right? If you don't want to write that down because you can't spell it, that's fine. Just write down this. Write down a divided kingdom. Today we're talking about two men who in Israel were in charge of what is known as a divided kingdom. And it sounds, and it was exactly how it sounds. Now, if you've been joining us during this series, we started it in the beginning of the year. We're going to continue all the way through the year. We have a very big belief, and it's simple. We believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. I like how you guys are saying it every single week. So with that being said, here's the deal. We believe the whole Bible, everything points to Jesus. You may have heard this statement before. It, it's all about Jesus. Would you say Jesus for me real quick? Jesus. It's all about him. So last week we introduced you to a guy by the name of Solomon. We know that he was a, a wise man. We know that the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and even too so the life of Job. We understand that those books were, were books of wisdom. We talked about how wisdom comes in three ways. Wisdom comes through pain, in other words, there's things in life that teach us. Have any of you ever learned a hard lesson before? Something you did wrong, but you learned a lesson from it, okay? That was wisdom found through pain. We also discovered that wisdom comes from people. Understanding that the people that we place around us can add value to our lives. Do you have anybody in your life that if it wasn't for their wisdom, you might have made the wrong decision? I think we all have. Got to have wisdom through people. And then lastly, we understood that wisdom comes through prayer. We see that in the book of James, that if anybody would ask for wisdom, the Bible says that God would give it to them. Meaning, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you need to make a decision and it's tough, look at me, church, all you have to simply say is, God, give me wisdom. And the Bible makes a promise that God will. See, let me just show of hands. Let's just bring this to us. How many of you ever made an unwise decision? Show of hands. Come on. Unwise. All right. Now, what would have happened in that moment if you would have stopped and paused and said, hey, God, give me wisdom? Well, what if you were facing a decision that you didn't have to make right away, but the minute that you were, were given an opportunity or something that you said, hey, God, I need your wisdom on this, and I'm not going to make a decision until you speak to me. What could possibly happen? See, wisdom is a, is a very important thing. And so we were talking about Solomon last week, and we understood that, of course, he was a man of wisdom. But guess what? He was just that. He was a man. And this man made a huge mistake. A huge mistake that cost him his kingdom. And eventually, because of the way that he, that he influenced those below him, it cost him his son and the failures that his son would make because of what his, his dad did. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that Solomon's heart, he turns from God. How did he do that? Well, the Bible says he started intermarrying with foreign women, which if you remember going back a few weeks ago, we talked about how God said specifically to the children of Israel, do not intermarry with other ones because they will turn your heart from God. But Solomon did that. And when you look at Solomon's life, man, it was a complete 180. This guy 
turned from God. Let me show you the depth of the disobedience of Solomon. 700 wives and princesses. Now let's just stop there. If you're a guy and you're married, be honest. You're still trying to handle one. We're talking, now I know it's a different time. Now, some don't even understand this, that actually there was actually customs in place that some of these wives were actually tied to other regions and portions of land. So you say, well, cool, well, Solomon's off the hook. However, 300 concubines, that's a decision that he made. That, that's, that's completely disobedience to God. And it, went, it wasn't just one, it wasn't just two, 300. So he's saying, hey, God, here's the deal. If I could put it in our terms, God, I don't really care what you're telling me to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Think of this, the man of wisdom who got his wisdom from God in the first place, who started off so good when the angel appeared and said, what would you have? God, give me wisdom to, to judge your people. And he does. And he has a season where he leads well. But then he starts to slip up. And then he just goes into full-blown disobedience. To, to the point where now his heart is completely from God. And he paid a price for it. It affected others. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes. That word statutes is another word for God's word. Commandments, statutes, precepts. Those are all words that just pretty much say God's words. Because you have turned away from these, which I have commanded you, here's what happens. I will surely tear down the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Spoiler alert. Who was the servant he was speaking of? Jeroboam. I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son, who was his son, Rehoboam. So we've got Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who would be entitled to the kingdom as his dad passes, and God's saying, because you chose to disobey me, your son is not getting the kingdom because of the choices that Solomon made. I will tear it out of your hand. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God gives him one kingdom, not on his behalf, but on the behalf of David. So, so understand here, it's from this point that we're introduced to these two guys, kind of funny names, Rehoboam, and Jeroboam. These guys are in charge of what's known as the divided kingdom. Now, Rehoboam, of course, was the son of Solomon, and he was going to reign in Judah, which is in the south, and Jeroboam, who was one of the officials, which the scripture talked about, would be king of Israel of the north. Now, this judgment that takes place, and I've got to lay this groundwork out for us to understand the two points that I have today. The kingdom that's getting ready to take place came with a conditional promise. I want you to notice the words in 1 Kings chapter 11. It says in verse 38, Then it shall be, this is speaking to Jeroboam, that if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, notice these words, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes 
and my commandments as my servant David did. This keeps coming up, servant David. Then I will be with you and, and build for you, notice this word, enduring. Say enduring. He literally says, I'm going to build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give you Israel. Let's just pause here for a moment. Let's bring it all back to circle. God's saying, look, here's the deal. What David had, I'm going to build for you too. But only if, only if you obey my ways and my statutes and my commandments. If you do that, Jeroboam, kingdom's yours. Now, David was what? A man after God's own heart. We, we know that. We learned that. And we learned what that meant a few weeks ago. David was a man after God's own heart because David had a great confession life. He confessed his sin. He made things right. He was an adulterer once. He was a murderer once. And then he changed and he made things correct. Jeroboam has a promise here that's unbelievable. And all he has to do is do whatever God says. Can you imagine God saying that I'm going to give you exactly what you desire or exactly what you're entitled to or exactly the good plans that I have for you and all you have to do, just obey me. We would instantly say, I'm in. I'm going to obey that. Now, when Solomon heard that God had chosen Jeroboam to rule, the Bible says he tried to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam, what he does is he, he, he flees to, to Egypt. He gets out of here. Now, let me just lay a couple more things of groundwork, and then we'll get to the points. Now, after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king of that southern state, right? And Jeroboam returned from Egypt. But Rehoboam was a vain and a very foolish man. He reigned in a very harsh way. He, 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 he made it so tough for people that they, that they literally said, we don't want to serve you. We're going to go serve Jeroboam. Because Rehoboam took decisions, and he made them difficult. So only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin followed Rehoboam, and the other ten tribes sided with Jeroboam. So the Bible says that King Rehoboam gathered 180,000 warriors in an attempt to take back the ten tribes, but God prevented it, saying, this is my doing. When you go back and you read the story in 1 Kings 11, God said, this is going to happen. Rehoboam, you're only getting those two tribes. He's getting 10. So Rehoboam's thinking, I can go. God says, no, 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 this is my doing. So King Rehoboam returned to the capital of Jerusalem while Jeroboam reigned from Samaria. Now it's from that point, you know what Jeroboam does? You would think, well, Jeroboam, man, he's got it made. He's got the 10 kingdoms. He's not going to get attacked and killed. And guess what he does? He starts to worry about Rehoboam. Now think about this. God literally told him, keep my ways, do what I say. It's going to be all right. And for whatever reason, Jeroboam goes, I'm worried about this Rehoboam guy. Because here's the worry that he had when you go and read it. The people would go up to Jerusalem to worship is what they would do. And Jeroboam was afraid that if they went to Jerusalem to worship, that they would start to side with Rehoboam. So Jeroboam decides to put up altars in places of worship between Dan and Bethel. If you've got a map out, you can see how this takes place. 
He didn't want the people, the 10 tribes, getting all the way to Jerusalem. So he would put these houses and these, these moments of worship and golden calves and all of this stuff. And he would say to them, don't go to Jerusalem, go and worship here. But they were idols. It was idolatry. So Jeroboam walks away from the, from the command that says, Worship me, my ways, my statutes, my commandments. He walks away from that in fear of the people going to Rehoboam, puts up places of worship, and the rest of the story is history. Eventually, Rehoboam, after 17 years, he dies. Jeroboam, for 22 years, he reigns, but then he dies. Now, following Jeroboam was a son by the name of Nadab. Everyone say Nadab. I just wanted to hear you say Nadab. But then Nadab was murdered after two years on the throne. And watch here. And the assassin killed all of Jeroboam's family. By the way, this may be hard to hear, but that was according to the prophecy of 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 25 through 30, that this would happen. And it's not, it's not the point of my message, but, and I know this is a very extreme example, but listen to me. That's what happens when we don't obey God's ways. There are things in our life that will die. Does that make sense? I know it's hard to hear that. It's hard to come to church and hear a message on obedience and disobedience, right? We, a lot of us don't like to be disciplined no matter how old we get. So it's hard to hear that. And then from that point, especially as we go on, because next week we go from the kings into the prophets. And I know I've laid out a very long foundation here, but I have to lay this out for you to understand the two points that I have today. It's from this point that prophets are going to start to come in. Elisha and Elijah and all these different prophets, and their goal is to speak on behalf of God to kings. But this last one right here, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, and everyone after them aren't even faithful to God. Second Chronicles twelve fifteen, And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam in all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. Then the prophets come. Okay. Everyone's still tracking with me. You've got that hazed look going over your face right now. And I get it. I get it. A lot of information. Highlight is this. Two kings divided, and they both don't obey God. They do what they want. And because of that, it costs them. So when we, when we read this story, or you sit back and you listen to this story, as I read it and I begin to pray, I see two big themes. I know it's not three, Dave. But, but it's two. Because when we read the Bible, we've got to look at this. This is the whole point of this series is to help you get in your Bible and in your word for you to read something and say, okay, God, what are you actually trying to say to me? Or what is it from this story that I could learn? And so with that being said, I think there's two things. The first one is going to be this. I think that we see obedience. And the second thing is I believe we see circle of influence. Those are the two big themes. Okay, so write this down. Point number one, write this down, is the word obedience. Now, I know you're probably saying, Wait, you, but you've been talking about disobedience, and you are correct. 
but I want to go to the word obedience. Now, we see in the life of Jeroboam that God gave him clear instruction on what to do, and we know that he didn't do it, and it cost him. Go all the way back to the beginning, guys. What do we see in the garden? God said, don't do this, and what did Adam and Eve do? What they shouldn't have done. They did it. What is that? Disobedience. Let's go all the way back in our series. You ready? So from Adam and Eve, disobedience. What was the flood? Disobedience. Tower of Babel. Remember, remember that week? Ooh, that was a crazy week. Tower of Babel, disobedience. Children of Israel, disobedience. They're in the wilderness because of what? Disobedience. Catching on, all right. Judges, disobedience. Solomon, disobedience. Isn't it amazing that we're getting through 1 Kings and Chronicles and the theme from this whole point has literally been disobedience. And in every single story, we see the same thing play out. Makes their life worse. Disobedience. Joy Dawson said this. She said, disobeying God is the same as telling him to hold back all of the blessings that come with obedience and bring on all the punishments that come with disobedience. That is not only stupidity, it's insanity. Man, you guys are quiet today. Am I going too hard on this disobedience thing? Is something speaking? I don't know, man. Is something speaking to you? I know I'm reading this going like, God, man, there's things in my life I've got to get in order. When we disobey, here's what we're missing out on. The blessing of God. See, and it's not even too that like something bad happens to us because God would never throw bad on you. God doesn't do that. If you've been taught that if you do wrong, that God's mad at you and bad things happen to you, no, bad things happen because the devil is bad. God is good, so therefore good things happen. But bad will come our way, or things will be halted, or things will move slower because of disobedience. Because God's saying, I've got to fix this right here before I move you to here. Some of our lives, and I've been there too, we don't get where we're supposed to go quicker because we're not dealing with the disobedient things in our lives. So God says, I care more about who you're becoming rather than where you're going. And if I can't fix what you're becoming, when you get there, you might not be able to sustain it or handle it because your character isn't correct. So God says, I'm going to slow this process down. And that's what he does. So, so when, when good things happen, it's the, it's the blessings of God. So no, notice this. If, you've ever, if you haven't read this book, um, man, you need, to, you need to add this to your list, okay? It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. It's a phenomenal book. It's by Jerry Bridges. I want to read to you an excerpt from it real quick because I think it really helps us paint the picture of proper obedience and proper disobedience. But before I do that, everyone look at me. Smile real big. All right, cool. I'll keep going. He said this. He said, too often we say we are defeated by this sin or that sin. No, we are not defeated. And then he says these words. They're, 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 right, they're right to the punch. He says, we are simply disobedient. It might be good if we stop using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress and holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. Because when I say I am defeated by some sin, I am unconsciously slipping out from under my responsibility. I am saying that something outside of me 
has defeated me. But when I say I am disobedient, that places the responsibility for sin squarely on me. When I say, no, nope, I made a choice, that's saying, okay, I'm taking responsibility. We may, in fact, be defeated, but the reason we are defeated is because we have chosen to disobey. Then he says this, and this is powerful. He says, we need to brace ourselves up and realize that we are responsible for thoughts, for attitudes, and for actions. We need to reckon on the fact that we died to sin's reign. Hear this, that it no longer has any dominion over us. That's what happens. Oh, I just can't control it. Something is. If you're saved, sin doesn't have a hold on you anymore. Jesus died for that. So you can't say, hey, you know what? Oh my gosh, the devil got me today, man. He's so powerful. No, he's not. He's not powerful. So what happens is, is, is we say, okay, he has no dominion, but then it goes on to say that it no longer has any dominion over us, that God has united us with the risen Christ and all of his power and has given us the Holy Spirit to work in us. Are you seeing the difference here? So only as we accept our responsibility and appropriate God's provisions will we make any progress in our pursuit of holiness. I take all of that and I say this. When you take responsibility and say, God, I chose to do that. Would you forgive me? You know what God says? Because of my son Christ, yes, I will. But hold Sounds really great, and it is great, but hear me. It is from that point, and I think this is where a lot of us, myself included, can get really good here. You ready? Once I'm able to say, hey, God, I made a choice. Would you forgive me? And he says, yes, because of my son, I will forgive you. It is at that point that, that the responsibility is back on me to say, why did I give in to that temptation? Why did I make that choice? Why did I say those words? It's not that you just do wrong, God forgive me, and then just keep walking. It's that God forgive me, okay, what do I need to do? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've got to work on it. Yeah. You've you got to understand that if that's in you, you've got to work. Priscilla Shire said this. She said, today's difficulties are often a result of yesterday's disobedience. I thought that was powerful. Romans 6.23, here's what the Bible says about it. For the wages of sin or for the wages of disobedience is death. But, love that. How many of you guys like when that's there, by the way? Something's going on really bad. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, do you see the two there? Joshua 5.6, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Disobedience. To all the people who were men of war, who came out of Egypt, were consumed. And then it says this, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. That's always what it comes down to. Can I tell you what your love for the Lord is predicated upon? It's simply this, your obedience to God and his word. Notice the words of Jesus in John 14, 15. If you love me, pause. Why do you have to put that if word in there? Because he's given you a choice. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, this one's a hard one. 
Let's shoot straight. This is tough. Because we miss it so much, right? Come on, let's be real, all of us. If you love me, he's saying, keep my commandments. Because God only wants good things for you. So he wants you to keep his commandments so you can have his best. That's powerful. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but that's powerful. God wants what's best for me, and I just need to obey. Now, is there grace when I blow it? Better believe it. Aren't you thankful for that? Super. But again, we got work to do. Let me give you something that's really encouraging, okay? 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. Always goes bad. Always. No temptation, say no temptation, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He's faithful. So when I'm tempted to disobey God, to give into this or to do that, God is faithful. We don't always see this next part, but I promise you it's there. He says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? People say, well, I just couldn't control it. Not, no, child of God, no. He's saying, look, no matter what comes your way, you're strong enough because Christ is in you. It can't overtake you. Listen to me. Stop giving the devil credit. He ain't that powerful. He ain't that good. He's no good. So if he's no good and God's good and I'm tempted, then I say, God, you're faithful. God, I'm tempted right now. Anybody have temper problems? I wouldn't expect everybody to go like this, by the way. There you go, Doug, my man. I'm tempted to take that shirt off you because we don't wear 49er stuff in church, but it's cool. Um, um, <laughs> don't leave. I'm, I'm sorry. You ever just want to, this may sound really carnal, just haul off and hit someone for something they said? You ever been there? Yeah, you, has your, thank you. Raider fan in the back. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we do. Well, we shouldn't do. And you're just tempted. How, or, okay, let's get away from the violence. How about the power of our words? You tempted to give somebody a piece of your mind that isn't really building them up? Yeah. Oh, now we're talking. And you're tempted. What do you do? Well, there's no, temp, there's no temptation. Okay, God gives me a way of escape. Let me tell you the way of escape. Sometimes just turn around and walk off. Yeah. Yeah. Make a phone call. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to do this. But I got a friend that can pray with me. And the Bible says that if I confess my faults one to another, the righteous prayer, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yeah. Hmm. I need to call my buddy right now because I'm tempted. And he's going to listen to me. And here's the great part. He's going to pray for me. And the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Translation, does a lot. And then you walk away from that temptation. I'm telling you, man, this week is going to be one of the greatest weeks of your life if you understand that you don't have to give in that God gives you a way of escape. That's what it says. So we have to understand that we can obey God 
but we need to trust him. We need to obey. I want to challenge you this week to walk in obedience as Nate comes. I want you to walk in obedience to God and his word. The Holy Spirit prompts you, obey. And I guarantee you, it'll be a week like no other. I love, I love this quote. Obedience to God is the pathway to the life you really want to live. I'm telling you right now, it's true. It's true. All right, number two. I told you only two points today. Second thing we need to understand is the circle of influence. Now, we see in the life of Rehoboam that having the wrong relationships in your life can bring destruction. Now, I don't want you to confuse this with those you're trying to reach for Christ. Don't confuse this. I am not saying that you can't be around people who are ungodly. But if you are around them, you need to be a person of influence. I'm saying who you give yourself and your life over to for wisdom and for counsel, you need to watch that circle. A very powerful thing happens in the life of Rehoboam, and it didn't have to happen. The people come to Rehoboam one day and they say, look, how you lead as a king, you need to lighten the load. Your father, he was too hard on us. He made things difficult. Never felt good enough. I mean, you can start to fill in the blank of how the conversation was going. And they're saying, king, would you please be kinder and lighten the load for us? Now, this is a group of elders coming to Rehoboam. These elders were the elders for Solomon, meaning they saw everything. They saw how hard Solomon made it. And they said, Rehoboam, please don't do what he did. You know what Rehoboam says? Come back in three days. I'll have an answer for you. Then another group approaches Rehoboam. Bible literally says a younger group comes to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam says, hey, what do you guys think I should do? And they said, make it harder. Punish these people. If they thought your dad was bad, whoo, you show them, Rehoboam. You show them who's boss. So Rehoboam, after some time, listens to the voice of the young. Hear me, young people in here today. He listens to the voice of inexperienced people. It's not saying you can't be wise as a young person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is something to be said about those that have lived life before us, that have experienced what you're probably going to experience, and the best thing you could do is listen to them. Yeah. Now, let me give you the definition of an elder. It's not tied to age. Everyone look at me. It's not age. 
we get that mixed up. It's maturity. Big difference, huh? I mean this very kindly. I know those in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who are not wise and are not mature. So age does not make you an elder. Wisdom does. Maturity does. Life experience does. I'm a 39-year-old man, and I've got a long way to go. So that's why I'm texting, and I'm calling, and I'm sitting for breakfast with Dave McMahon. No pressure. (laughs) But it was so great that as we were eating breakfast, you were there too. And you know who we were talking about? That man right there. Talking about how on a Wednesday night, a man wearing a San Francisco giant, or 49ers shirt, sat inside of our fireside room on a Wednesday night and gave his life to Christ. Next week, he's getting baptized here. So I know we have people visiting today, but if you're not, be back next week because we're going to shout for this man. Not only that, he sits inside of a group and shares things in his life that he needs help for. So as we're sitting there talking about you and how humbled we are at what God's doing in your life, this couple is having breakfast too. It's great to have you here today. We're honored. There's something to be said. Matter of fact, Doug, sweep, come here real quick. I need you guys. Don't worry, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up on the fly. Would you guys do me a favor? Right around that corner, you're going to see a really big ladder. You guys are in construction, by the way. Like, they make stuff happen. I want you to go grab that ladder. It's really big. And I want you to set it up right here, right here in the middle, okay? As they're doing that, look at me real quick. Look at me real quick. Rehoboam, Rehoboam goes, nothing. I'm going to do wrong. It cost him. Cost him the kingdom. And it eventually cost him his life. As they're setting this up, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Notice the words of Proverbs 11.14. Where there is no counsel. Thank you. And go ahead and just stay right off to the side. I'm going to need you guys here in a minute. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors... There is safety. Multitude of counselors. Proverbs 15, 22. Refuse good advice and watch your plans fall. Ooh. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. It's as simple as placing the right people in my life, around me. So, so for us to become and develop, we need to take an honest look at those around us and place people in our lives that challenge us. I've got some people in my life. Let me, let me show you the seven questions I ask them once a week. This, this is what I do for me personally. I have men that hold me accountable, and these are the questions I get asked every week. Number one, how's your thought life? How's it going? Number two, how are you handling the balance between work and home? Big question. Number three, 
Have you been in the Word over the last few days? And if so, what has God been teaching you? That's question four. Question five, how are you doing in handling God's provision of time, talent, and money? How are you stewarding that, Rich? Number six, are you being responsible and protecting your eyes and your hands and your feet and your mind with women other than your wife? Real talk in our day, right? (laughs) Number seven, this is always the funny point of the week. Are you shooting straight and answering the above questions? Or are you lying? You know what I've learned? I've learned those that know me best know when I am. I had to put people in my life to help me. Here's what I've learned. You guys did so good, by the way. I've learned that the higher you go in life, can you tell I love doing this? The higher you go in life, the trickier it gets. The more responsibility I have, the higher I go, the more that I need God and... Do me a favor, Slade. Can you hold that side? Thank you. Doug, can you hold that side? Listen here. Listen here. Should have got Daryl for this. He wouldn't let me down. I'm going to climb this ladder. Life's going to keep going on, y'all. Have you noticed that? You keep living life. You keep climbing. Some of us climb fast. Some climb slow. You're climbing. And the older you get, the harder it gets. The more your decisions matter. The more they affect other people. Why do I get asked the question, hey, are you watching your eyes? Because I've got a wife and two boys and a little girl coming next week. And you want to know why? I'm, I'm not trying to throw shade. I don't want to blow it with my wife. So I place men in my life to ask me the tough questions. You watching your eyes, Rich? Mm-hmm. Rich, you, you, you handling your money right? You putting God first? You putting money away? Are you stewarding what God... Make no mistake about it, your money is not your money. It's God's money. And God is so good, he gives you 90% and he only asks for 10. That's a really good deal. I was raised in the inner streets of Sacramento. That's better than a drug deal. You might not want to hear that, but that's the truth. (laughs) Sorry, raised hood, can't help it. So they'll ask me, guys, the higher I go, the more I need Doug, the more I need Suede. The problem is a lot of us are climbing this ladder. Back up from the ladder, guys. And life starts to get wobbly and starts to shake. This could get real fun here in a minute, by the way. And it just starts to mess up. And that's why the more I'm in danger of falling off this ladder. But when they grab this side and they say, hey, Rich, got you. In your life, wise counsel, wisdom. Does it get shaky? Oh, yeah, it's shaky. But man, they're holding this. You're not going to let it fall, right? They're not going to let this fall. They got me. And you know what? I'm convinced that if I started to fall, you ready? I'm just joking. If I started to fall... Swade's probably going to try to catch me. Now, it might crush him in the process, 
But he loves me so much, right? You love me so much? He loves me so much that if I jumped off right now, he would break my fall. It might break him, but he's breaking it for me. I know I'm taking a little bit of time. I know I'm embellishing a little bit. I know you're probably hungry, but hear me. Who is holding your ladder? Who is in your life? There are no lone rangers in Christianity, friends. Oh, it's just me and God. Me and God, we're good. If it was supposed to just be you and God, God would not put scriptures in the Bible that says you need someone. It could just be you and God. And then Christians would be walking around uninfluencing people because it's just them and God. You need someone because you're climbing. You know what else I've learned? That sometimes in life, when I mess up and I blow it and I'm falling, I'm not watching my money, I'm not watching my eyes, and I'm getting down to bottom, I'm getting down to here, then when I get to the bottom, guess who's here? Just like that. Are you getting the point? You need to watch your circle of influence. You need to put people in your life. If you don't have someone praying for you once a week, you need to start this week. You need to make a phone call. You need to, matter of fact, when church gets done, we're all pretty good at this. Don't get mad at me. Smile. Instead of just leaving, why don't you go shake someone's hand? You might find the one friendship you need that's going to keep you accountable. Change your life. Don't do it alone. Obedience, circle of influence. Don't be Jeroboam. Don't be Rehoboam. That's a bad Boehm. I made it up. It just happened. That's a good one. Thank you. That's a good friend. Doug, thank you.